0: Good evening. Turn if you excuse me. This is going on the radio, you know, so it's got to be the right radio voice. Good evening. Turn if you would tonight to First Peter chapter one. First Peter Chapter one. It's amazing how much listening or listenership or whatever that uh, that radio ministry is getting i uh, was at united monday uh, about to have lunch with susie and a preacher walked in and said hey good sermon yesterday and i said really and he said yeah i said how'd you know about it? he said i just turned the radio on and there you were so it was a good sermon and I said, well, well, thank you. And then a girl the other day on the basketball team, I don't know if I shared this with everyone or just a few, but anyway, uh, the other day, well, the girls were playing basketball. She was so involved in what was going on, she stopped me and said, I heard your commercial on the radio, and I know that other people have heard it. So need to pray that the Lord will bless that and touch the hearts of some who are hearing that and lead them this way. But it is exciting to know that there are actually people listening and learning that we're out here and. Maybe God would lead some our way. So 1 Peter chapter 1 is where we're going to be tonight. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will get started. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time that we can steal away from the busyness of the week, that we can steal away from the uh, pressures of the week. And Lord, maybe just for a few moments, give our thoughts and our attention to your word. Lord, I pray that tonight you'd use the message to speak to our hearts, to help us be what you'd have us to be. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well last week you know we can we continued our study of uh, bible doctrines under attack and I'm trying to do this a, in a systematic way and so last week we were looking at the doctrine of salvation and what so many people in today's society believe is sufficient for them to gain entrance into heaven upon their death I said That many people in today's society believe that nothing more is needed than a belief in God. They're of the mindset, they are of the opinion that if they believe in God, then surely that is all that's required in order for them to get to heaven. Some are of the opinion that if they are religious, if they have religious activity uh, attached to their name, that that will get them into heaven, surely. And then there are others who are of the mindset that if they have good works, then that is all that is needed in order to get to heaven when they pass from this life, and that is gaining, it seems, more and more traction for those who are willing to admit that there is some kind of an afterlife. They don't want to believe the Bible way to heaven, which is very clearly spelled out in places like John chapter 14, where Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. Christ made it very clear there's only one way to heaven. It doesn't matter if you believe in God. It doesn't matter if you've got religion. It doesn't matter if you've got good works. Unless you come through me, salvation is not available. We also learn from the scripture or we're reminded from the scripture that we do have to ask for Christ to save us. We have to confess with our mouth and we have to believe in our heart. We have to ask him to save us. It's not just enough to have this mental awareness and this, this mental process where we say, oh, yes, I've done all that in my mind. We have to ask him to save us. And then there has to be some evidence of repentance where there is a changed life. If somebody says, oh, I've done that. Oh, yes, I've prayed that prayer. Oh, yes, I've been through those motions. Yes, I, I did that when I was a kid. If there was no repentance, if there was no changed life, it really should cause us to say, I wonder, I wonder. Because the Bible God, the Bible, the Word of God, teaches that Christ is the only way we have to admit our sin, we have to humble ourselves, we have to call upon Him, and if we will do that, He will save us. Now tonight, in continuing, excuse me, in continuing our thoughts, I want us to think about something uh, for just a couple of moments that I trust will be a help to us and will help illustrate the, the, the thought of the message in the next few moments. Tonight, I want us to think about a gift given to us with no strings attached. Have you ever received one of those gifts? Okay, most of us have, uh, a gift like that is pretty enjoyable to receive. If somebody just walks up to you and says, here's a gift of money, no strings attached. I don't care what you do with it. I don't care how you spend it. I don't care. I don't care. That is a wonderful gift to receive. If somebody were to walk up to you and say, here are the keys to a car, do with it what you want, you'd say, well, thank you. That, that, that's a wonderful, wonderful gift to receive. Now, as wonderful as those gifts are where there are no strings attached, here's what we all know that sometimes gifts do come with strings attached. And somebody might be quick to say, well, then if there are strings attached, then it wasn't really a gift. If there are strings attached, then then it's not really a gift like you want me to think it is a gift. And to that way of thinking, I would say, I disagree. And I'll explain why I disagree with someone who may say, well, if there are strings attached, then it's really not a gift, because I've got children. And you've got children, and if we think this thing through, we see the logic of it pretty quick. I was thinking about my kids and the fact that all three of them have cell phones. All three of my kids have cell phones that they originally did not purchase. Now, Nathan has one that he's purchased for himself, but, but all three of them have cell phones that they did not purchase and that they did not pay the monthly service fee for them. Therefore, to them it is a gift. But there are some strings attached to that. Just because I gave you a cell phone cell phone doesn't mean that you can sit around and text all day, every day. You're going to put the cell phone down at some point. Just because you may have the Internet on that phone doesn't mean that you're just going to sit there and play games all day. You're not going to sit there and Google things all day. Yes, I have given you the gift of a cell phone. Yes, I've given you the privilege of, of being able to communicate with friends or to get a hold of us if you were to need something. But just because you were given that gift doesn't mean... You can do with it what you want. If you've ever given your child a car, you know that there are some strings attached to that. I'm thankful that we could help Nathan get his first car. I'm thankful that we could help him get, get started on that journey of adulthood with his own set of wheels. I'm glad that he can go eat with his friends and go to the youth center. I'm thankful for all that, but there are some strings attached. I've told him if I ever catch him texting and driving, he's in big trouble. If he ever is caught by me or someone that knows him and it gets back to me, yeah, I saw your son peeling out of the parking lot. There are some strings attached that say something like this, the car will be parked. You understand this, right? Here are certain gifts, and they are gifts to you, but that does not mean you can just do with it whatever you want, however you feel. Now tonight, think about that principle for just a moment in light of salvation. What did you and I have to pay personally for our salvation? Nothing. I think most of us know, don't we, that the Bible says that our salvation is a gift from God. Amen. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift Of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. My salvation and your salvation was and is a gift from God. Now, we're going to deal with this more in just a couple of moments, but here's what I want us to think about, please, as we look into the message tonight. Just because we were given the gift of salvation doesn't mean that that salvation came with no strings attached. There are strings attached to our salvation. Now somebody may say, I don't know if I'm buying that. Well, we'll deal again with it more in just a few moments. But consider for for just a few moments an Old Testament principle that we read in Exodus chapter 20. How many of us know what took place in Exodus chapter 20? The law was given to the people of Israel. All right. And as they entered into this covenant with the Lord, the people of Israel kind of had a choice as to what they wanted to do. Now, now listen, do you want to enter into this covenant with the Lord? And the people of Israel said, yes, that's what we want to do. Chapter 19 says that, and it, it explains this, that the children of Israel willingly chose to enter into this covenant with the Lord. And so in chapter 20, here is what God declares before the commandments are given, it is I that deliver delivered you out of your bondage it is me that delivered you from the hands of the Egyptians okay now what is Christ or what is God doing in Exodus chapter 20 he is reminding them that i am the one who delivered you and i am the one who who saved you from the bondage you were in so based upon what i did for you I now have the right and I now have the authority to tell you what I expect of you by way of the commandments. So that if I say to you, thou shalt not steal, you better not steal. That if I say, thou shalt not commit adultery, you better not commit adultery. If I say to you, have no other gods before me, you better not have any other gods before me. Here is what God reminds them of. You obviously needed me to save you because if you could have saved yourself, you would have done it a long time before 430 years passed. If someone else could have saved you and you didn't need my help in the process, somebody else would have done it for you years ago. God is reminding the children of Israel that he was the only one who could save them, who could deliver them, who could rescue them from their bondage. And it was because of his work in their lives that he had the authority to tell them, you better not do these things and you better do these things. So then fast forward. Fast forward to the Old Testament, or to the New Testament, rather. My gift of salvation was just that. It was a gift. Your gift of salvation was just that. It was a gift. And why was God required? Because we could not save ourselves. If we could have saved ourselves, we would have done it. If someone else could have saved us, we would have gone to them and they would have saved us. But why did God get involved in the process? Because God and God alone was able to save us through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins. All right. That being said, he expects us to live a Christian life. Now, I promise you, we're going to get to the text in just a couple of moments, but but, but understand this, please. As a result of what God did for me and as a result of what God did for you, God in his scripture reveals his intention or his design for us, and that is for you and I to live in accordance to his word. See, you could look at the words of Paul that that asked this question, should we continue to sin that grace may abound? God forbid. I was not saved simply for the purpose of bypassing hell upon my death and getting to enter into heaven. That was not the only reason I was saved and not the only reason that you were saved. All right, the expectation is that you and I would live a godly Christian life. Okay, so I don't have the right to just continue in sin that grace may abound. No, Paul said, God forbid. It was Christ himself who said, take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. What was Christ saying? I expect this salvation to do something to you. I expect salvation to change you. It was the words of Paul who said this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ who liveth in me. What was he saying? He was saying, I am dead to self. Why? So that I might live the Christian life. You cannot live the Christian life and be alive to self. The scripture says that we're supposed to present ourselves as a living sacrifice, which is what? Our reasonable service. I am supposed to die to self so that I might live the Christian life, and to do that is not anything extraordinary. It is not anything amazing. It is not anything impressive or worthy of praise. It is nothing more than my reasonable service. So over and over and over through the New Testament, Testament we see what was seen in the Old Testament, and that is this, because of our salvation, the gift that was given to us, there is an expectation that we will live a certain way of life. Now, why are we in 1 Peter tonight? Because 1 Peter declares that explicitly and he, ex- he, he declares it boldly. Look in verse number 15 very quickly, all right? Verse number 15, we read these words. But as he which hath called you is holy. What does Peter say to believers in this first chapter? He says to them that it is God who called them. What does it mean to be called in this context? What does it mean to be called in this reference? It means this, to be invited to the gift of salvation. What Peter is declaring to the people as he is writing this letter is this. Listen, it was God through the working of the Holy Spirit in your life that invited you, that summoned you to salvation. I've said this before. I'll say it again because we need to be reminded of this. In and of ourselves, we were not naturally drawn to God. If you look at Adam and Eve as a result of their sin, what did they naturally do? They naturally tried to avoid the Lord. Sin in the life of man never naturally draws them to a holy, righteous God. Okay, our sin, as we talked about last week, separates us from God. And so in our sin, if left to ourselves, guess what we would do? We would be more than happy and more than content to stay in that lifestyle. Had it not been for the Lord, through the Holy Spirit, calling us, To him, by way of salvation, we would have never, ever sought him for salvation. Every bit of this, every bit of our salvation was the working of the Lord in our life in one manner or another. It was the working of the Lord who allowed our lives to come into contact with the Word of God. It was the aid of the Holy Spirit that began to convict us and show us that we were the sinner and we were the ones responsible for putting Jesus Christ on the cross. It was the aid of the Holy Spirit who convicted us, who showed us that we needed to cry out to the Lord in humility to save us. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ in His blood that saved us when we called out to Him. Every bit of our salvation is the working of God in our life. Amen. So he says in verse number 15, but as he which hath called you is holy. He who called us to him for salvation is what? He is holy. God Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, the Lord, whatever aspect of the Trinity you want to consider, well, tonight, just say God. God, Peter declares, is a holy God. What does it mean to be holy? It means this, to be spiritually Pure. It means to be free from contamination, okay? And so here's what Peter is declaring of God, the one who called us to him, the one who summoned us, the one who invited us. Here's what he is saying of God. He is saying, God is a holy God. He is spiritually pure, he is uncontaminated, he is without flaw, he is absolutely a pure, holy God. There is no sin. There is no unrighteousness. There is no iniquity. There are no flaws in the God who called us. So he says in verse number 15, But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy. Now listen, Peter says, God called you into salvation. He invited you. He summoned you. Yes, you humbled yourself and you accepted the gift. Yes, you're the one who said, Lord, I I repent and, and I ask you to save me. Yes, but every bit of this was the work of God, a holy God. Now, here is what God expects from you. Not to get up from that moment of transformation, that moment of new birth, and not to continue living on in your own way, in your own things, in your own ideas, in your own opinions. No, because He is holy, here is what He expects of you. Here is a string attached to your salvation. That you, too, would be holy. Well, what does that mean? What does it mean when the Scripture says to believers a couple thousand years ago that as He is holy, they were to be holy? It means just what we would think it means, to be spiritually pure, to be uncontaminated, to be free from flaw, to be free from error. Now, I know what every one of us know. I know what every one of us think. I know what most of us would have by way of an immediate response, and that is this. I can't be absolutely holy. But I can strive for it. I'm going to mess up. I'm going to foul up. I'm going to make mistakes. I'm going to drop the ball. I'm going to do things that I ought not do sometimes. I'm going to say some things that I ought not say sometimes. There will be moments in which I don't do everything correct, but it ought to be my desire. It ought to be my hope. It ought to be my prayer that I would be as He is, and since He is holy, That is what I should strive to be. I should strive to be spiritually pure. I should strive to be uncontaminated. I should strive to be without flaw. Now again, that will never happen this side of heaven because of my sin nature, but that should be what I long for. That should be what I strive for. He says in verse number 16, Because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Did you know that this isn't the only reference to this statement? Be holy because he's holy. You can find it back in the book of Leviticus and all through the scripture. Here's what you'll find, that God is a holy God. And as I said a moment ago, as you look through the scripture over and over and over, you see this principle, principle that because of our salvation, we are expected to live the Christian life. Well, in what area of life? We'll go back to verse number 15. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Be holy. When? In all manner of conversation. Be holy. Where? In all manner of conversation. What does that mean? Again, it means just what we think it means, and that is this. Be holy. When? All the time. Be holy. Where? At all places. Be holy. Why? Because the God who called you, the God who summoned you, the God who invited you, he is holy and he expects you and me as followers to follow in his footsteps and strive to be holy as well. Amen. I know we know this, but let me just remind us of a few things. When you're on the job, listen, when you're on the job, holiness is still required. It doesn't matter that you're on the job. Well, I don't have to be holy here because none of my co-workers are holy. Their lack of holiness has nothing to do with our call to be holy. You and I don't have the privilege to clock in and clock out of Christianity. Christianity. Well, I don't have to do it now because of who I'm with here, and, and they don't expect much from me, so I don't have to rise to the occasion here. No. Whenever you are at work tomorrow, when you are around your coworkers, whenever you are around you know, bosses, equals, or those who may be beneath you, guess what? You're still required to be holy. And what you say and what you do and the way that you interact with the people, you are expected to be holy. At work we 're expected to be holy at home. now again, this seems so obvious, this seems so basic, but how many times do people allow themselves to be something at home in the home that they would never dream of letting be seen outside the home i 've said this before. I know it's repetitive, but just bear with me. We don't have the right to live one way inside the home that we would not live outside the home. Our kids are not allowed to see one thing that we wouldn't want others to see. Our spouse is not allowed to see us live one way of life that the world is not allowed to see. We're not allowed to sit back and say, well, I just kind of do that at my house, and I just kind of relax that way at my house. No, I am called to be holy in all Manner of conversation in all manner of life. Amen. What you see in public is what you should see in the house. What you are at church is what your co workers ought to see on the job. Just as I'm supposed to be holy at the job site, I'm supposed to be holy in the house, I'm supposed to be holy with my buddies. Men, especially. Just because we're around men doesn't mean we're allowed to lose our holiness. I understand that men are men, and sometimes men are comfortable to say things in front of men that they wouldn't say in mixed company. You understand this, right? Ladies would also say things that they might say it in front of ladies that they would never say around men. And for that, I'm thankful. I mean, you know, I, I, I understand how that works, okay? But there are still lines that are not to be crossed just because we're with our buddies. For many years, I've tried to remind us as we go on a fishing trip that we're still men of God. We're still expected to be men of God at the lake. It's not like all holiness goes out the door when you arrive at the dock of the lake. It's not like holiness goes out the door as soon as you arrive at the ballpark. Just because it's kickoff time doesn't mean that holiness gets put on hold. I mean, wherever you want to put this, whether it be for men or for women, whatever it is, Holiness is still required of us, even with the buddies that we are so comfortable with. Holiness is still required when it's just you and your wife, you and your husband. We've known people over the years, and it's kind of like, well, you know, it was just the two of us, so it's okay. 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 I mean, if it's sin, it's not okay. I mean, is that fair enough to say? If if it's sin, it's not okay. So I can't say, well, you know, it's just me and the my, me and the wife, and so so therefore, I don't have to worry about holiness. Yes, I do. Just because it's you and the husband doesn't mean that you don't have to worry about holiness. You do have to worry about holiness. Be ye holy, because I am holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. At all times, in all places, what are we supposed to strive for? Spiritual purity, flawlessness, uncontamination, that is supposed to be our goal. Question. Is holiness popular preaching these days? Of course it is. Y'all are pessimistic, judgmental, critical people. Holiness, no, holiness is not preached everywhere, is it? Why? Because nowadays, truth be told, most preachers don't want to be holy. Truth be told, many preachers today just want to be just as worldly as the world. I don't know how often you would do something like this. I mean, it's just out there. If you'd like to see it, but you know, it's like the the the, the preachers who want to use profanity to connect to the people. I mean, does that does that seem odd to anyone? You know, if I'll just, you know, if I'll just get vulgar with my language, that will really help me connect with the people. I've listened to them on YouTube. I, I've, I've heard preachers admit this on the Internet. I don't know any personally, thankfully. But, I mean, it's like, why, why would you do that? Because holiness isn't an issue. I don't know how many of you all have heard of this. I just heard of it a couple of weeks ago. And I thought, surely you're blowing this out of proportion. But did you know that there's a movement now, and it's, it, it's gaining popularity. Now, I don't know how popular it will ever truly become, but, I mean, it, it's popping up in different churches in different states. But it's called a beer and a hymn fest. Truly, they're trying to gather people together for the purpose of singing the old hymns while drinking a cold one. And one of the websites I read today in in getting ready for this, it was astounding to me. One of the things they were proud of, or actually two of the things they were proud of was this, was that they ID'd everyone and there was a three-beer limit at the service. Now, friends, you know why things like that are happening? Because preachers don't really care about holiness. They don't really care about spiritual purity. They don't really care about this, this striving to be free from contamination in their spiritual life. No, what they want to be is as worldly as possible and still feel like they're serving God. And here's just another struggle facing many preachers today, whether you realize it or not, and that is this, most people sitting in the pews don't want to hear about holiness. They don't want to be told that they're living in sin. They don't want to be told that their lifestyle is wrong. They don't want to be told that they're making mistakes. They don't want to be told that they need to change their ways. They don't want to be told that they're not doing something right. What they want is their ears to be tickled. What they want is to feel good when they leave. And here is what preachers know. If I offend the wrong person, they'll take their membership someplace else. And the church down the road, the church across town, will be more than happy to accept them. And I know I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, but if you think preachers aren't mindful of the amount of people sitting in the pews, which translates into money in the offering plate, if you don't think preachers are aware of that, you're not being honest. And so what will many preachers do these days? They will try to sidestep the issues. They will try to get as close to mentioning sin without actually referencing it specifically in hopes that somehow they'll get it. But they don't want to offend the people in the church. Why? Because the people don't want to hear it. And if they get offended too many times, they'll take their membership someplace else. And that defeats the purpose of the preacher trying to grow the church. Holiness is not a popular doctrine in today's society, in today's culture. And here's what I'd like us to be reminded of tonight as we wrap all this up, and that is this. Satan doesn't want you to accept preaching on holiness. I'm telling you this, whether you realize it or not, I'm being honest with you tonight. Satan wants you to get tired of hearing sermons that involve any kind of sin. Stop preaching about sin in the home. Stop preaching about how I ought to be at work. Stop preaching about the kind of person I'm supposed to be with my kids. Stop preaching what it's supposed to be like when it's me and my buddy. Stop preaching what it's supposed to be like here. Don't talk about this. Don't address this. Don't, don't confront that. I'm telling you, Satan wants you to get to the point where you're fed up with it. Why? Why? Because if he can get you to the place in your spiritual life where you get fed up with preaching on holiness, you know what you'll eventually do? Take your business someplace else. I don't have to patronize this church. I don't have to stay a member of this church. I don't have to stay here and be told I'm failing as a husband or as a father or as a wife or as a mother or as a child or as a, as a grandparent. I don't have to stay here and put up with this. I can go someplace else and be encouraged when I leave, yes, and still be the sinner living an unholy, unrighteous, ungodly lifestyle. But you'll feel good about it. It's under attack. Holy living is under attack. And if you don't believe it, kind of look around. How many Bible preaching churches do we have in comparison to the feel good, seeker friendly, come as you are, leave as you came kind of churches in our society today? Holiness is under attack. And friends, we might as well just be ready for it. It's not going to get any better, it's only going to grow worse. And you've got to decide, do I want to be holy because he is holy? Do I want to be holy in all manner of conversation? Or do I just want to kind of pick and choose where it's applied and where it's used? And, and am I going to go where I don't feel bad three out of four sermons? Where am I, what am I going to do? Where am I going to go? If you want to be scriptural, if you want to be godly, you'll say, you know what? I do want to die to self. I need to sacrifice myself myself. For the purpose of godliness. So that I can be what he's called me to be. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, I do pray that you would be with this message. Lord, I know that uh, this is review for every one of us. I mean, it's it's not like this is the first time any of us have heard this. Lord, there is such a... There's such a a drought as it relates to to men in the pulpit preaching the need of holiness and and personal holiness and godliness and and righteousness. And so, Lord, I pray that you'd help us this evening to be men and women who would always have a desire to be challenged to be holy or that we would never come to a point in our spiritual lives where we would say, I don't want to hear that anymore. Lord, if there's anyone tonight who may be struggling, because it's possible, I pray that you just help affirm in their mind the need to be challenged to live a holy, righteous life. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As Lauren plays, if you need to pray, please do.